Republicans to wake up. Is the Republican Party right now is not led by conservatives. There's a population out there that has to be told the truth. Uh, we have to. Do it live! Now, from the left coast, it's another podcast edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Peter B. is curious, opinionated, and relentless in pursuit of the truth like a honeybee drawn to pollen. He's an independent progressive, ready to sting Republicans and Democrats alike when they deserve it. After years in commercial radio, Peter B. welcomes you to this audio adventure in news and politics with no corporate filter. Listeners support this program, and you can help at PeterBCollins.com. Here's your humble host, Peter B. And it's one, two, three, four. What are we fighting for? Welcome to a fresh edition of the Peter B. Collins Show. Today's program made possible by Dora Rosen, Rita Sheldrake, and Marilyn Ryan. They're voluntary subscribers to the Peter B. Collins Show. If you're able and you'd like to help, go to my website, peterbcollins.com. There's a tab on the right-hand side that says you can help. Our voluntary subscriptions start as low as $5 a month. In the aftermath of the sacking of General Stanley McChrystal as the leader of our misguided military efforts in Afghanistan, I invited two voices of great, well, gentlemen that I have great respect for who have uh, offered some powerful commentary about these issues in just the past few days. Norman Solomon, my friend from here in the Bay Area, is a longtime uh, critic of our media, and he is the author, among other books, of War Made Easy, about how we have been sold different military campaigns over the years. He's also the founder of the Institute for Public Accuracy and is co-chair of the Healthcare Not Warfare campaign that comes from Progressive Democrats of America. Norman, welcome back to our program. Uh, glad to be here. Also with us is Ray McGovern. He served 27 years at the Central Intelligence Agency and has been a very powerful voice uh, since uh, the Bush administration took us on the misadventure into Iraq. And uh, in addition to be a founder, being a founder of the group uh, called VIPS, Veterans Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, he also works with Tell the Word, the publishing arm of the Ecumenical Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C. Ray, welcome back. Thank you, Peter B. Well, it's good to have you both here to uh, chew on this a little bit. And, Norman, let me start with you, because uh, you published a piece on Wednesday at Truth Out that opens, uh, as you're so capable of doing, with a couple of very succinct sentences. When the wheels are coming off, it doesn't do much good to change the driver. Whatever the name of the commanding general in Afghanistan, the U.S. war effort will continue its carnage and futility. And what we've been hearing from the pundit class in Washington is this was a masterstroke by President Obama to seize a bad moment and turn it into something better. And he has uh, the, the widely uh, quoted soundbite from the president is this is a change in personnel and not policy. And, Ray, you uh, published two pieces this week, one of which was that uh, Obama missed the off-ramp from Afghanistan. Norman, first, uh, this could have been a much different opportunity for the president 
to reevaluate, if not change, uh, our misguided policies in Afghanistan, and he failed to take it. Well, what the punditocracy uh, is touting as the uh, fine uh, focus of the president in making his statement on Thursday is really the bad news for those of us who don't want a perpetual war, don't want an escalation, and just thinking further down into uh, really the, the slaughter and the devotion of billions and ultimately trillions of dollars to uh, something that on all accounts and by all measure is going to be a further catastrophe. But I think there was a clear effort by uh, the White House to try to convey the notion that they are going to stay the course, which is exactly the bad news. Mm-hmm. Ray McGovern? Well, as usual, I couldn't agree with Norman Moore. Um, you know, just watching Obama, uh, scratching my head and thinking how ill-advised he is. Uh, here he goes bragging. Uh, this is not a change in policy. This is just a change in personnel. Well, hello, Mr. President. This personnel, who pretty much forced you to change him, was getting out while the getting out was still good. Uh, McChrystal screwed up royally. He hasn't done one right thing, hasn't fulfilled one of his promises. And, you know, I'm sort of glad that he hasn't conquered Kandahar, uh, a city of uh, half a million people. I mean, it's just really amazing that they would pick, well, in the Bronx we would call him a thug, okay, a common thug. Why do I say that? Well, because McChrystal was doing the vice president Dick Cheney's bidding Mm-hmm. in Iraq for four or five years, assassinations, special forces, uh, torture uh, confirmed by people who, who uh, watched what was happening in prisoners in prisons that McChrystal often visited. That was his job. He's a, a Joint Special Operations Command guy, okay? What does that mean? Well, that means that he has a very strange outlook on things. Uh, wars are to be won and populations are to be won over uh, by nighttime raids on suspected militants. Well, give me a break. Uh, if that's what, if that's what uh, Petraeus's uh, coin, his counterinsurgency manual says, well, you know, we did better back in the 60s when this first arose and President Kennedy asked us to look into what counterinsurgency was all about, and we didn't do very well then. So this is very hard to watch. Uh, especially since some of my old colleagues are the ones that advising, uh, you know, people like uh, Bruce Rydell, who, who ran the Afghan Policy Review, and, and John Brennan, my gosh, my goodness, you know, he's in the NSC. These are people that, uh, that really uh, are not all that bright, number one, and really you know, there's some question as to whether you can trust them to tell the truth or whether they're telling the president what they think the president wants to hear and that's a perversion of the intelligence function. And Norman, Ray has posited that uh, in, in his second commentary at Consortium News, published on June 24th, that uh, McChrystal may have provoked this to get out of the mess that he himself created, and that he is probably the, uh, the, the most aware, best person to judge just uh, how bad the policy is and how seriously it's failing. What's your take? Do you think McChrystal... Uh, saw this coming, uh, was loose-lipped with Rolling Stone on purpose to try to provoke this? 
Well, you know, it's difficult, of course, to know for sure, but it seems to involve something roughly akin to if you're playing a chess game and it dawns on you that there, there's really no way to prevail, then you might, however consciously or not, find your knee uh, going up into the board and throwing <laughs> the pieces on the floor. And I, I think that there's, uh, you know, now that uh, Ray mentions it, uh, in his article, it is thought-provoking because, really, if you are a general, especially with three or four stars on, and you have such a major responsibility, as I understand it, you really, really don't want to go down in history as the commander when the war is, quote-unquote, lost. And it may be that McChrystal, however much he is even able to articulate it in private, let alone public, may just realize that there is no plausible scenario for the United States to win in any military sense. And, Ray, when I read the Rolling Stone piece, I was a little let down, frankly, because McChrystal didn't diss the president uh, that directly. There's certainly a couple of quotes there that uh, are unflattering, uh, calling him intimidated. But even that quote was indirect. It was staffers uh, quoting... Uh, General McChrystal after his first meeting with Obama at the Pentagon. And so in many ways, uh, I felt that the the damage, the alleged damage of the Rolling Stone piece has been overstated. Well, uh, when I read it, uh, Peter B., I had a very different impression. Um, You know, what MacArthur did back in 51 and what several generals have done since, has been less, uh, you know, less direct, directly criti- critical of the of the president. Um, sure, a lot of these people were his minions, his his retinue, uh, but it was a very very uh, callous, a very very un uh, unacceptable way for a uh, a general or any other uh, uniformed officer, or to be sure, non commissioned officer to to behave. So. You know, this is all very speculative, of course, and uh, I've never pretended that I I know things that I don't know for sure. But uh, if you look at the situation in Toto, you have McChrystal going off at the mouth before, saying, for example, that, oh, yeah, these roadblocks that we own, yeah, well, you know, we kill hundreds of people, and not one of them, and not one of them have we been able to identify as uh, al-Qaeda or one of these uh, militants. Mm-hmm. Hello, and then he says about uh, about Marja. You know that was to be the big example. He was going to conquer Marja right. and bring in a quote government in a box mm-hmm. end quote. Okay, well <laughs> he still can't go into Marja at night. And the way he's uh, described Marja now is as a quote bleeding ulcer end quote. Well, hello. Uh, the last thing, of course, was the big famous, uh, well advertised. Uh, offensive into Kandahar, which was supposed to take place in June. Now, what's today? June is, you know, June is almost over. Right. Now they're talking about September. Uh, you know what happens at the end of September in Afghanistan, Peter B.? Winter arrives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the fighting season is suspended for the most part. Yeah, just that you probably want to hear all this now, but I was waiting in the doctor's office this morning, and I'm thinking... Ray, you know, you learned a lot of stuff at Fort Bragg and Fort Benning about what an infantry officer uh, thinks about when he approaches a battle. And I ticked them all off, and I said, my goodness, you know, 
Uh, McChrystal has been so busy killing people, assassinating people, and torturing them that he forgets. You know, you have to you have to consider the weather. You have to consider how many enemy there are. Uh, you have to consider all manner of stuff. That uh, that you know the terrain. Look at <laughs> and last but not least, Peter B. Uh, you have to consider what we used to call the locks. Okay, not something you eat with a bagel. But a LOC, a line of communication. Now, you know, it's not an overstatement to say, with respect to Afghanistan, you can't get there from here, okay? Oh, you can go through the Khyber Pass, right, and get sabotaged, ambushed, which is what our guys are going through now. Or you can go through, oh, let's say, Russia. Yeah, well, that's a great deal. <laughs> line of communication through Russia and all those stands up there. Or maybe, maybe the Iranians would let us. Oh, yeah, maybe we can go through Iran. Give me a break. You can't get there from here. And so that's why that's why a gallon of gasoline for our Marines in Afghanistan costs $400 a gallon. Wow. I mean, hello? Mm-hmm. Norman, uh, what's your take on the true impact of the Rolling Stone article, the quotes attributed to staffers and indirect quotes, uh, plus what actually is directly attributed to General McChrystal. Well, it does seem to be, uh, you know, borderline or maybe not borderline um, de facto insubordination in terms of the fact that uh, McChrystal knew he was on the record. And certainly, you know, it depends on, I mean, the drum roll was so intense that when I read it, I thought, well, you know, it wasn't as insulting as some of the pundits. But on the other hand, given the military mentality and the president is the commander-in-chief, uh, it's pretty pretty stunning. Uh, that said, in, as is usual, uh, the mass media tend to tack far away from the most relevant and profoundly important aspects of a story, and that is that I believe the Rolling Stone article really got very deep, way beyond anything pers- in terms of personality, about just fundamentally, it says, uh, Afghan people at this point, for the most part, don't want the U.S. military there, that there's no plausible scenario for the U.S. to, to win, however one defines that, in Afghanistan. And uh, with some exceptions, uh, you know, the mass media tend to be ignoring that in the aftermath of uh, the article being published. I mean, I was stunned, for instance, but not surprised. Uh, you know, it's so... Uh, uh, repeated a uh, experience to watch the uh, corporate PBS uh, news hour um, on Thursday night. That is the day uh, that uh, McChrystal uh, was relieved of his command, if I'm remembering co- correctly, or the day after. Mm-hmm. And um, th- these were three people who were invited in to talk about how wonderful uh, David Petraeus is as his replacement. And there's really just such a lack of critique beyond the surface spin as to the fact that uh, this war is escalating in a way that even on its own terms makes uh, no sense. And, you know, Ray would know vastly much more about this than I do. Uh, I am really wondering how people at the top of the command chain, whether civilian or military, can look at the situation. The total of 100,000 U.S. troops won't even be in there until, optimistically, the end of this summer. Then it gets cold. Then the ice uh, starts to break in the spring. And then we're told in July of next year the troops will start to be withdrawn. Does that mean they're going to bring five people home? I I just don't get it. Yeah. 
And, Ray, uh, I, I agree with Norman's point that the Rolling Stone article to me was more uh, an indictment of the policy uh, than uh, a serious broadside against the president. And I feel that the media has missed this. They enjoy the conflict and the, the drama of the president sacking one of his top military officials. Uh, but the, as, as Norman points out, they've moved very quickly to the replacement uh, the Senate is going to start confirmation hearings faster than I've seen them do anything in recent history. Uh, next week, they hope to uh, confirm uh, Petraeus as McChrystal's replacement. And I expect that there will be very little talk of policy at that point because they already have Petraeus from his fainting spell just a week ago uh, on the record uh, softening the president's promise to withdraw troops starting next summer. Uh, and the president has reiterated that in follow-up quotes as well. So uh, we don't even get an opportunity here for a public discussion of the failed policies, much less uh, an important review of those policies by the people in charge. Uh, that's right, Peter B. Uh, you know, if, if you look at Obama's experience uh, or in, inexperience, uh, he's a politician. Uh, he was a senator. What do senators do? They compromise, you know. So um, he's persuaded by the hardliners that he needs to put more troops into uh, Afghanistan or else McChrystal will call him soft on terrorism, which is almost as bad as being soft on communism back in the old days, right? Yeah, sure. So then he says, but this is kind of stupid because other people are telling me that uh, for the longer term we will never succeed. So, yeah, I know what I'll do. I'll say that we'll start withdrawing in July of 2011. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, for once, I can agree with John McCain and people of his ilk. I mean, they point out that once you tell the Afghans or the whoever, al-Qaeda, that you're only going to be around another year and then start pulling out, well, what incentive is there in God's name? What incentive is there to cooperate with a, uh, a force that's going to be gone and once you cooperate with them, you're you know you're ostracized forever, and maybe worse in yeah. your community. So sure. that doesn't make any sense. Um, and that's just one of the things that show that you know when you're a politician uh, like Obama, and you know I dare say like Leon Panetta. Now he's the head of the CIA, right? He's supposed to be telling the president what's really going on. Now what Leon Panetta said in his confirmation hearings was very telling. He looked at all those senators and he said, "You know, I'm a creature of this uh, of this uh, Congress." Well, indeed, he is, because what he needs to tell Obama is the unvarnished truth about these kinds of decisions. You can't project a, a staying power uh, that will see this thing through, however feckless we think it is, and at the same time say, "Yeah, but uh, the the." pressures are such that we'll start withdrawing in July of 2001. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so, you know, it's really uh, what needs to happen is, uh, in my view, what Obama needs to do is the obvious. He had one, one advisor who got it right. And ironically, the New York Times is is calling for his removal as well. His name is Carl Eichenberry, mm -hmm. and he's our ambassador in Kabul. And thanks to a patriotic truth-teller, uh, we know the text of his cables of 6 and 9 November of last year, in which he drew out in very 
concrete detail, but not very long. Uh, Mr. President, this is this is a, uh, a fool's errand. Uh, Karzai is not a good uh, uh, a good person to cooperate with. He's unreliable. And, and you know, one, two, three, four, five, and then the last one. And I'll finish. <laughs> mean to dominate here, but the last one was this. Uh, Eikenberry says, you know, Mr. President, this is sort of, you know, sort of dismissive of, of Ms. Crystal. He said, well, Ms. Uh, General McChrystal is approaching this, of course, from a military point of view, but it's a much wider problem. Uh, what is lacking is a multidisciplinary look about where Afghanistan is headed over the next couple of years, and so we really should uh, have a panel. We should convene some experts to look at this, and we've got plenty of time to do that, okay? <laughs> now, what's Eikenberry saying? He's saying, hey, we used to do national intelligence estimates. We used to get civilians involved to piece together how to project into the future. We haven't done that. Can you believe it? We haven't done that in Afghanistan or Pakistan. That should be done. And guess what? Panetta would like to keep his head in the sand because the conclusions that my previous colleagues would come up with would say, it's a fool's errand. We really uh, we are embarked on a course that we should have known uh, is the same as Vietnam. Norman, your comment on Eikenberry? Yeah, well, I was struck by the same thing that Ray just uh, commented on. You had the editorial in the New York Times on Thursday speaking for that newspaper calling for, essentially, the removal of the top people in the administration who have dared to raise any fundamental question about the course of escalation. So it's like, uh, well, we have a concern. Everybody should get on the same page. And anybody who's not with the escalation program, well, maybe it's time for them to go. That was the message of the New York Times, and as has been the case really continually uh, from that newspaper and so much of the rest of the U.S. media establishment, it's often as though they never read their best news reporting. And they're in some sort of la-la land of optimism and just uh, stay the course. Uh, I think also a, a term that Ray used at the start of our discussion is quite appropriate when he said that the president is ill-advised, because that is absolutely central, I believe, to what's going on, especially with a president who had somewhat of a reputation uh, and probably was very conscious of trying to counteract it, that he was a lightweight on foreign policy, didn't have the background or experience. And I'm really struck with the parallels of what happened when another president came into office, a Democrat, after uh, eight years of a Republican, and his name was John F. Kennedy. And right after he was elected in 1960, he met with a guy named Robert Lovett, who was part of the previous uh, Democratic incumbent national security establishment. And so, you know, Lovett came out of the, the Stimson, the Atchison, the, the, the Marshall mold, um, after World War II, uh, sort of the wise men, as they were reputed to be. And so John F. Kennedy, uh, right before he moved into the White House, sat down with Robert Lovett and uh, said, you know, who are the best advisors and cabinet members on foreign policy for me? And Lovett said, well, you know, there's a really uh, smart guy named Dean Rusk. There's a really uh, insightful, very skillful uh, guy in Detroit named Robert McNamara, and so um, and on and on. And so Kennedy plugged those people into the administration. And when you look at the people who are at the top levels of uh, civilian uh, U.S. 
uh, war making right now. These are retreads largely from the Clinton administration and others who have simply not changed their worldview. Well, and uh, that's the perfect setup for where I wanted to go next, because uh, the, the person who I felt really should have been replaced along with General McChrystal is Defense Secretary Robert Gates. And he is a, uh, a Bush protege going back to, uh, and, and Ray and his colleague Mel Goodman have been very effective in describing and depicting Robert Gates as the guy who politicized the CIA and who kissed up to his superiors during the Cold War and was rewarded with a nomination to head the CIA that uh, was not approved by the Senate and then was plucked uh, after Rumsfeld was sacked uh, by George W. Bush to uh, finish out the uh, Bush term uh, as Secretary of Defense. And then uh, it was quite stunning to me that Barack Obama held him over. So after the sacking of McChrystal, uh, Gates quoted as saying, the U.S. war effort is not bogged down in Afghanistan, (laughs) Uh, which is a, a very improbable statement. He went on to say, I believe we are making some progress. It is slower and harder than we anticipated, but I think we are moving forward. Now, he doesn't support that with uh, any metrics, with any, uh, you know, independent uh, analysis or any other verifiable method. And I prefer the comment offered by uh, Congressman Dennis Kucinich, the Democrat from Ohio. He issued a statement following McChrystal's uh, dismissal. The counterinsurgency strategy is falling apart. The doctrine of counterinsurgency has broken down just as the chain of command has broken down. The Karzai administration is broken by corruption. Our budget is broken. General Petraeus has served his country honorably, but we can't expect a different outcome from a new general with the same old strategy. The only way to repair this mess is to get out of Afghanistan. What, what we have to show for our strategy is the death of over 1,100 U.S. soldiers and countless innocent civilians. The U.S. has not been made safer, and the Afghan people are left to fend for themselves between the failure of their government and ours to protect them. Bring our troops home. Thank you, Congressman Kucinich. Ray, what's your reaction to Gates and Kucinich commentary? Well, Gates is, uh, has done a lot of damage, but right now he's pretty much a cipher. Uh, uh, he typically smells the prevailing winds, and uh, I'm sure that if, uh, if Obama had said, well, uh, do you think we ought to keep uh, McChrystal on? Uh, Bobby Gates would have said, well, what do you think? <laughs> 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 so, uh, you know, he, Hillary Clinton is, is the fly in the ointment here. Uh, you know, it, it's it's in that article that she was uh, a strong supporter of uh, of McChrystal, telling uh, everyone who would listen if McChrystal says he needs troops, give him more troops. Right. In addition, uh, Hillary Clinton has uh, shown herself uh, to be quite prepared to go against what the president uh, has advocated in very serious manners, matters. And, and what I referred to explicitly there is the deal that Obama asked the president of Brazil and the prime minister of Turkey to work out with the Iranian leaders, a deal that would have had half of their low-enriched uranium go out of country to Turkey to be reprocessed for their medical reactor. Wow, you know? I would have thought that after... 
Barack Obama sent letters to these statesmen and asked them to do precisely that, that not only would the Israelis and everyone here jump up, clap their hands and say, wow, 50% of your low and rich uranium out of country? Well, that means, uh, oh, let's see, let's figure it out. Well, well that means about 50% less chance that uh, Iran could get a nuclear weapon anytime soon. Instead of that, the next day, Hillary Clinton gets up and says, here's my answer to that, sanctions. We're going to do sanctions. And the Brazilian president, Turkish prime minister, uh, get in touch with Barack Obama and said, look, we did precisely what you wanted. What's going on here? Why aren't you pleased with this deal? And, of course, the reason there, of course, is that it's not the fear of a nuclear weapon that Iran is not working on. It's rather this what they call, we used to call it overthrowing governments, but now it goes by a euphemism called regime change. That's right. Is Israel wants, and of course, that's what uh, our people who are under that kind of influence want. So, all I'm saying here is that uh, Hillary Clinton seems to be uh, really asserting more influence than than uh, she really rightfully should. And I suppose, not being a political analyst within this country, but just guessing, I would suppose that uh, Obama never wants to be put in a position where Hillary Clinton can say, well, can say maybe next year or the year after, you know, I told Obama he had to be stronger on these things, and uh, look what he's done. Mm -hmm. So the whole mix of very, for me, unpalatable domestic political considerations go in here, and uh, that, you know, the whole thing on Afghanistan is not to be shown to have lost a war or to have been soft on terrorism. Yeah, we're saving face. Norman, your take on the contrasting remarks of Gates and Kucinich? Well, it reminds me when I hear words from Dennis Kucinich of a senator who I heard in February of 1968 named Wayne Morse. And even as badly as in military terms the Vietnam War was going for the U.S. by then, he was still a pariah in Washington. And we have that Cassandra pattern, which is still in place today. Yeah, indeed. We're going to continue in just a moment with Ray McGovern and Norman Solomon here on the Peter B. Collins Show. Bonjour, this is Veronique Raskin. I am the CEO of the Organic Wine Company, and I want to personally invite you to join the Peter B. Monthly Organic Wine Club. Call me for the details, and I do answer my phone, at one eight 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 eco wine or visit us at www.theorganicwinecompany.com. A bientôt. J'espère. Merci. Thank you, Veronique. We continue with Norman Solomon and Ray McGovern talking about Obama and the policy toward uh, Afghanistan. And gentlemen, uh, Friday, June 25th, New York Times has a front-page story about Pakistan's uh, intentions regarding Afghanistan. And there are a couple of interesting developments. One is that uh, they, of course, uh, uh, created uh, the Taliban, and uh, the Taliban is used in American media in a a too broad way that doesn't distinguish between the Pakistani elements and those inside Afghanistan. And similarly, we rarely see parsing that gets as specific to separate the Haqqani network uh, from other insurgent groups in Afghanistan. There are a whole array Uh, that uh, our forces are contending with there. But the report indicates that Pakistan is ready to make a three-way deal uh, with the Haqqani network 
and with the Karzai government in Kabul. And that uh, the Pakistanis, uh, quoted here in the New York Times, at a briefing this week at headquarters of the ISI, the spy agency, the Inter-Services Intelligence, analysts laid out a view of the war that dovetailed neatly with the doubts expressed by Hamid Karzai. They depicted a stark picture of an American military campaign in Afghanistan, quote, that will not succeed. They said that the Taliban were gaining strength. Despite the impending arrival of new American troops, they concluded the security situation would become more dangerous, resulting in an erosion of the American will to fight. And that is the reason why Karzai is trying to negotiate now. Over the last few months, we've seen that while Karzai appears to be a little imbalanced and uh, making some pretty uh, remarkable comments, he also was trying to build bridges to various uh, insurgent groups in Afghanistan uh, to try to broker some sort of a peace deal. And uh, General McChrystal in particular seemed quite hostile to that. And it doesn't seem that the Obama administration in Washington is very warm to the idea of trying to find a peaceful solution to the conflict in Afghanistan. Ray, what is your take on this development as reported by the Times today and the prospect of a Pakistani-Afghan deal that basically uh, uh, freezes out the United States as a power broker? Well, I found the, the article very interesting. Um, I think uh, maybe the bedrock reality here is something I alluded to before, and that is that Karzai reads the New York Times as well, and uh, he knows that uh, Obama has pledged to pull out some some troops by July 2011, and so you know, once once that starts, uh, and he he needs to be uh, afraid of that. Um, it's going to all fall apart for Karzai unless unless he had made he's made these side deals with the Pakistani uh, inter-service and, uh, intelligence folks and uh, and the the what called the, the militants. Okay. Now, there's a whole array of these folks. Um, Karzai is a, as Eikenberry said, our ambassador, an unreliable partner, and he's not going to change his spots. So he's, he's looking to appease the Pakistanis. He doesn't care too much about the Taliban uh, because he knows that the Pakistanis are supporting the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, the word is India, okay? Uh, people don't seem to realize that no matter how often Hillary Clinton will go down to, to Pakistan and say, look, now, you all, you got it all wrong. You, you don't have to be afraid of India. Uh, what you need to be afraid of is the terrorists, okay? The terrorists, that's what you need to be afraid of. So forget about India. Well, you know, gosh, you know, it, it's really bizarre. You know, we know best what Pakistanis should be afraid of. They're never going to be unafraid of India, and that is largely why they fund and equip and encourage the Taliban in Afghanistan against our policy. Why? So that they can prevent India from gaining predominant influence in that country. That's not going to stop. Somebody should have told Obama that as soon as he came in the White House door. So I'm not surprised that this is going on. It's uh, it's something we should encourage, actually. Not only that, but we should encourage the regional powers uh, around Afghanistan the ones that have a real stake in its strategic value and its minerals and the minerals that surround it, 
and uh, work out a way to say, look, Indians, look, Chinese, we know. We know that you need oil even worse than we do. And we're, we're beyond the, the post-war uh, diktat where we're going to control it all. We're going to share it now. You know, that's what my grandson learns in nursery school, to share things, okay? We're going to share it now, and that way we won't have Afghanistan become the second resource war of the 21st century. Rather, we'll, we'll stay with Iraq, suffice that, and we'll work it out. This can be worked out, but the local, the local interests on part of Pakistan in particular, and Karzai also, they need to be taken into account in a much more artful way. And it doesn't seem like um, Hillary Clinton and the people that she listens to have any idea what the Germans would say, keine Ahnung of what's really going on in that part of the world. Norman? I think a regional approach to diplomacy, uh, a word that's been largely ignored by the war-making out of Washington in that region, uh, regional diplomacy is really not something that Washington policymakers have wanted because... For one thing, if you say that it's going to require a regional diplomatic solution to have a real solution, then the United States loses leverage and power. And unfortunately, uh, while Karzai uh, has been uh, not reliable uh, to support human rights in any context, and by the way, we should remember Karzai was early on pretty supportive of the Taliban when they first we're coming into power, um, Washington is playing, I'm afraid, a very different game than what we would hope. It's not about finding a solution to ratchet down the violence. It's not to try to struggle against the real enemy in Pakistan as well as Afghanistan, which is poverty. It's to do the power play and try to get our way, and that will not work. And, Ray, what do you make of the recent uh, flourish over a study about the natural resources of Afghanistan? It was hardly news, and certainly uh, people who uh, do what you used to do, an analyst at the CIA, uh, are well aware of the natural resources, uh, including lithium, uh, under the ground in Afghanistan. Why, why was that information surfaced, and does it offer any clue as to the uh, internal rationale of the Obama administration of owning and expanding Bush's war in Afghanistan. Well, Peter B., the way I interpreted that was uh, simply the dire need for some good news coming out about Afghanistan. <laughs> the place is falling apart, and there's no good news, not even the New York Times or the Washington Post. And so James Risen, of all people, James Risen is persuaded to write a good news article based on information that's at least two years old, and the significance of which is at least decades into the future. But no, no, put it down there, run it on the front page. Afghanistan has one trillion, three trillion. Oh, you know, it doesn't matter. Oh, you know, it's going to be the lithium uh, bastard of the world and all that kind of stuff. So you know, that's really kind of an interesting thing. Now. Norman knows 18 times as much as I do about how this kind of thing works. But James Risen, uh, you know, he's got some really good reportage behind him, and he's got good sources. But he's also under subpoena because he told the world, belatedly, but he told the world 
about the illegal eavesdropping that Bush had approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he so far refused to, refused to appear in court. But I'm just wondering, maybe I'd ask Norman this, is it too cynical to suggest that uh, they said, look, uh, Mr. Risen, we got a good piece for you to write. We'll write it for you. Put it on the front of the Times, and and we'll just ignore the subpoena. Maybe that's too cynical, but do you think that has a role? Well, I think there are subtle quid pro quos that go on all the time, and it's uh, quite likely that there's uh, there's some sort of understanding that um, uh, you you're better off not being a non-cooperator. Uh, when it comes to other stories. I mean, it's sometimes called the damage control trade, but we know it in colloquial terms as one hand washes the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't help that it turns out, as of now, Obama is, if anything, tougher on state secrecy than his predecessor, George W. Bush. And so there's an atmosphere, um, as uh, you know, WikiLeaks has been finding out, yeah. um, there's an atmosphere out of the Obama administration which is not friendly towards um, tough independent reporting, uh, very much to the contrary. Well, they're cracking down on whistleblowers, too. Even those who went through the channels and, uh, you know, tried to observe the protocols. Uh, we, we are seeing uh, uh, behavior from the Obama administration in terms of uh, free flow of information and our constitutional rights uh, that, frankly, are worse than what we had under Bush. And that was a time when we couldn't imagine how things could get any worse. Well, you know, Peter, I should say, anybody listening who thinks that maybe we're, we're getting hyperbolic here, um, I would uh, cite Anthony Romero, the executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union, and uh, speaking as an official of the ACLU just weeks ago, uh, he said that the Obama record on civil liberties at this point, quote, disgusted, unquote, him yeah. uh, as a leading uh, advocate for civil liberties. So that should tell us something. Indeed it does. Gentlemen, I really appreciate your time today. And Norman, as we wrap up, I wanted to ask you to comment on the upcoming uh, vote for supplemental appropriations to cover the costs of the wars, uh, in particular Afghanistan. Last year, progressive Democrats were able to uh, mobilize and hold uh, some number of votes of the progressive caucus in the House. And I'm curious what your thought is as we approach another round of this struggle. Uh, are, Are there more Democrats willing to challenge their president in the White House over the failed policy in Afghanistan by voting against additional funding? We'll see on the number, but we should note that this supplemental war appropriation now in front of the House wasn't supposed to happen at all, because when there was a war supplemental pushed through a year ago by the White House, we were told it was the last one. That's you know, right. The Bush people who were off the books were going to have transparency, so it wasn't going to happen after 2009. In fact, it is happening now in the early summer of 2010. Uh, I just uh, heard an interview with Barbara Lee, who was very articulate against the supplemental, and um, Clearly, uh, the White House can push it through. One of the issues is uh, that uh, Speaker Pelosi's office is getting a lot of pressure from the White House uh, to uh, put the war supplemental in again with other stuff like uh, measures against unemployment and so forth. The classic way to try to blur the issue and prevent uh, leverage from anti-war forces to get a straight up or down vote on escalating this war. Yeah. 
Well, I hope people will pay attention to that and uh, visit the Progressive Democrats' website, pdamerica.org, so that you can keep tabs on your member of Congress, your senator, and I urge you to uh, lobby them to oppose additional funding for this war. That really is the best signal that we can send. Ray McGovern, do you have a comment on that? Uh, Just that uh, I hope that uh, David Obie, uh, whom I know quite well, uh, can see an opportunity here since he's on his way out to do the right thing. And to the degree he can drag his feet, to the degree he can sabotage, frankly, this 33 extra billion for the Afghan war, uh, he knows that's the right thing to do. question is, after 40 years, will you, whether you get so inured to the, the leadership and the, the desire for conformity that you, you can't follow your conscience. So those of you who are the praying types, uh, remember Dave Obie and, and, and encourage, uh, <laughs> encourage uh, him to do the right thing. Ray McGovern, thank you for joining me today. I want to direct people to your powerful pieces that were published this week at consortiumnews.com and picked up as well at op-ed news. And Norman Solomon, your commentary was published this week at truthout.org. Gentlemen, thank you both, and uh, please continue the work you're doing. Hey, thanks a lot. Most welcome. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Peter B. Collins Show. Send me an email. Let me know what you think. Peter at peterbcollins.com. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails